Welcome to X-Files Podcast, a podcast about breakups, broken hearts, and moving on. I'm Janice Formicella, a breakup coach passionate about supporting others to heal from their breakups, overcome loneliness, love being single, and see the end of a relationship as the beginning of a magical new chapter in life. I am here each week to share with you the tools that I have learned through my own painful breakups, through hitting rock bottom more than once, and through working with people all around the world to heal their broken hearts. If you are looking for hope and strength to move on from your breakup and resources to enjoy your new single life, you are in the right place and I've got your back. Welcome to another episode of X-Files, everyone. I hope that your years are going really well and that if you have been going through a breakup before listening to this, that you're doing all right and I'm definitely sending strength and, you know, rooting for you. I know that everybody has the opportunity to turn their breakup into a brand new beginning, even if it was super rough, which is what we're going to be talking about today. So I know that it's definitely not easy, especially if you're dealing with some trauma. So you're all in my thoughts and that's what we're doing here today. So welcome back, Katie. Thank you. It's nice to be here. I'm excited. I've loved the episodes that we've done together. Everybody scroll back up just a couple episodes because we just today dropped talking to your kids about your breakup and it was such a high quality episode. I am so proud of what you, me and Brian Dunn put together. So if you are a parent who is going through this and wants a really, really great resource, please go and check that out. And before we get started... Katie, I know that people are becoming more familiar with you, which is what I wanted because I think your content is so fantastic. Can you just say hello and maybe where you're hanging out most these days? Yes. Hello, everyone. I'm Katie, founder of Co-Parenting Peacefully. You can find me at Co-Parenting Peacefully on Instagram, just doing all the co-parenting stuff, helping people through all of those challenges, which is really fun. Yeah. In fact, if you don't mind, I really am such a fan of your Instagram is probably one of my favorite ones. And so if anyone has not gone over yet, and you are a parent, let me just tell you some of the recent topic, the co-parenting hope conflict cycle, growth mindset in the co-parenting edition. Does your co-parent talk to you in riddles? So that's just a few things from just the last week. So it is very, very, very high quality. And it is helping people. I probably around the world to have better co-parenting situations, which helps everybody. It it has such a snowball effect on families, children, communities, friends, everything. So go and please follow Co-Parenting Peacefully. Yeah, do it. Well, let's get into this. How trauma and anxiety impact new relationships. Before we dive too far in, I thought we could both maybe say an intention or why it was important for us to do this episode. Would you like to go first? Sure. So I think that I did not realize until I got into a new relationship how much trauma I carried over and also how anxious I was in a new relationship. So it's important for me because I think if other people can understand this and have kind of some background about it, they can be more successful in 
their relationships. Yes, I I think so as well. And I think that maybe even the majority of people have trauma living in them somewhere. And, you know, the more we date and the more relationships we have, the more potential that we have for it. And I think my intention and the reason I wanted to do this is because I've experienced, uh, I think, a significant level of trauma in my life, both in a very abusive relationship where my physical safety was constantly threatened. And also, I guess, more small T traumas, especially when I was living in Australia, I was actually in a very, very toxic work environment that left me not wanting to even socialize for quite a number of years. And so I know how that type of situation can impact relationships as well, because I did not want to date. And I really was able to tie it, you know, directly back into this situation that I, that I had been through. And I've overcome both circumstances, I would say, I've noticed that in my more recent relationships, it hasn't come up for me the way that it did the first few years. And it was, it came up (laughs) the first few years. (laughs) And we're going to talk about both our experiences, um, as much as we feel comfortable doing. And I just want people to have, yeah, happy, healthy relationships. And people who listen to X-Files often have gone through some sort of trauma, either related to the relationship or just a really devastating breakup. So we are here for you. Yay. Before we begin, I thought we might get kind of clear on what exactly we mean by trauma. You know, everyone's definition or everyone's experience with trauma is different, but I still think that it's interesting. So I pulled lots of data and information and tips from various sources for this episode. And one was the article, Are Little T Traumas Hurting Your Romantic Relationships? And that is from NBCNews.com, actually. And it says, a trauma is an emotional response to a distressing event. Not every trauma is obvious, like a natural disaster, terrorist attack, plane accident, or instance of physical abuse, which psychologists refer to as big T traumas. Some traumas, called little T traumas, are smaller and more subtle, and you might not even know they happen to you. So what I'm hearing, and I have been interested in this little T, big T concept for a while, I think it might be relatively new, at least it is for me. And I guess what this is saying is a big T trauma would maybe be something where your safety and well-being was put at risk, whereas little T trauma is not necessarily. Yeah, that's kind of what I, because it was a new concept to me too, and my newest therapist kind of introduced me to that idea. And her explanation was kind of like the little T trauma stuff isn't always so obvious, and the big T trauma stuff is like the heavy safety, health, well-being stuff. Yes. So, and, you know, both and both are completely valid, which is why I'm actually not sure I'm totally thrilled with calling it little T because some of these things are very, very devastating. Big T trauma, for instance, might mean a very volatile, messy divorce. You know, some people lose their houses. Some people lose a lot of the things that they were normally taking for granted during a particularly your horrible divorce, um, any type of abuse, being in a serious relationship with an addict, I actually put on this because I was in a relationship with an alcoholic. And I can say from day to day, you just had no idea what's going to happen. You're constantly on guard. You do feel really threatened all of the time. And so I think that that would maybe constitute as big T. Yeah, I think so. 
And then little t, and I think this was what a lot of people who push play can relate to. Some of these examples could be ghosting, which came up a lot in my research for this. And that, and I really am on a mission with X Files to help people recover from this because I just keep on hearing over and over again about how devastating it is to people. And it makes me sad. Um, so some people might consider that a small t trauma. Um, someone maybe not returning the feelings that you have for them or feeling rejected, being lied to, dating and dating and dating and feeling like you're not getting anywhere, having a number of failed relationships in a row, feeling a lack of support after a breakup, and not understanding why someone broke up with you, being left or cheated on, or just being perhaps really sad about the relationship ending. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Can I just say I used to be a huge ghoster, so I'm going to have to listen. I'm reformed. I'm reformed, but I have to, I'm going to have to hear more about that from you. Oh, I would be so happy to speak with you more about it. It's something that I'm kind of on fire about. I have done it as well for sure. And I guess just very quickly, I just think we're putting way too much emphasis on preventing it and not enough emphasis on helping people to accept it. Yes. Um, so that's why I'm hoping to circle back because it's just coming up constantly. Yeah. And I, I do think, you know, if someone saying no by not responding to you, I don't know. I'd like to see people ba- bounce back from that quicker and not making Absolutely. it about themselves, making it about the other person. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, no answer is an answer. Yeah. But, Alas, that's not why we are here today. (laughs) Uh, It is on my list of episodes, though, to to do. Well, Katie, I don't know if you wanted to talk briefly about your experience, but I will let listeners know that I can relate to feeling very traumatized after a failed relationship and majorly having it impact new ones. Mm -hmm. So about seven or eight years ago is when I left the abusive situation. And it was, I've never been diagnosed with PTSD. I wasn't even seeing a therapist. Well, actually I did see a therapist, but I didn't get to the point where I was diagnosed. That being said, I had very severe symptoms of it. My weight plummeted. I absolutely could not hold down food. I had to have someone drive me around because I was so skittish for, for a number of months, feeling really on edge, very teary constantly. As far as the diagnosis goes, I always want to make sure that I that I let people know this is kind of like a self-reflection or self-diagnosis, but that experience definitely absolutely shattered me and it impacted my relationships for probably two or three years after. I found it very, very impossible to have much intimacy at all. I felt very caged in in every single one of my relationships. I constantly felt distrusting of the person. I always felt like I didn't have enough space in my relationships. Even when when I did, it was very hard for me to have personal conversations. I would say I was hypersexual for a while because it was, I don't know, I guess it was the only way that I really felt comfortable being close to people for some reason. Yeah. And I, I'm not really sure. And um, every time that I tried to date, it completely poisoned my relationships. And I actually did end up dating someone and I don't even think that he realized that he had this role in my life, but I ended up dating someone only about a year into living in Australia who just wanted to spend time with me, didn't really ask for anything, 
super respectful, super funny, gave me space, you know, was always upfront about what he wanted, didn't judge me for anything. And we stayed just kind of dating on and off for quite a while, maybe like three years. And it was just, and it was through that, that somehow I got more comfortable dating other people to the point that where I am today, which it doesn't really come up very often. In fact, I'm in a new relationship and, you know, feeling good, footloose and fancy free. Yay, (laughs) I love it. And then my other experience was, as I said, I was in a toxic work environment. And when I got out of that situation, with which left me nearly penniless, without a job, without a visa, with my life completely turned upside down, I was so skittish of other people that I, when I moved back to America, I actually didn't date for several years. When I first got here, I didn't even want to have friendships just because I... I ended up just relating people with pain (laughs) through it. And I just figured, well, if I don't, you know, rely on anyone and if I'm not letting people into my life, then I'll be fine. And, you know, I had to get over that, which I did, (laughs) luckily, but I can relate to everything that we're going to talk about today. Yeah. Yeah. I think I haven't had a lot of workplace trauma. Most of mine have been relationships. There have been some abusive relationships. There have been some emotionally abusive relationships as well, not just physical, but I have a diagnosis of complex PTSD and anxiety, which I've had. I've had the anxiety diagnosis since I was like 12. So it's been a long road with the anxiety. Like I said, I didn't realize how much all of those things played into a new relationship until I finally met someone who was kind and patient and understanding And then I thought, oh my God, like, I don't want to ruin this. So here we are in therapy. We're about a year in and he's noticed some changes. We were just talking about it last night because I was talking about doing this podcast with you. And he was like, I've noticed huge changes in your level of anxiety and like the stuff that you bring to our relationship. So Mm -hmm. man, it's been so helpful to really work through it with someone, a therapist who knows what they're doing. Oh, that's fantastic. And I, I, you know, I hope that you continue to maybe give some insights into how people can uh, process this because, you know, therapy is accessible to some people and not, not to others, sadly. Um, But I'm really, really glad that that's working for you. And, oh, I just wanted to touch on part of the reason why this workplace trauma impacted me so much is because I was actually working for some friends of mine. (laughs) And so the fact that the the way that it went down resulted in me not desiring friendships, even it was pretty severe. Yeah, it was. Yes. And I'm really glad that I got over it. For me, taking a time out from friendship for a while did help me to kind of recalibrate. But we'll talk about that as we go along. Yeah. So I think that a lot of people listening to X-Files are not dating or they're single is really what I should say. And one reason I wanted to do this episode is this is your time, everyone who's listening to process and heal from this, because there's many ways that it can come up once we start dating again, if we don't address it. So we're going to go through some of the ways that it it appears when we're trying to get close with someone again. Mm -hmm. So first of all, and I have experienced this unexplained or unprovoked conflict. And this is a quote from Is a past trauma impacting your current relationship by selfcare.com. Someone struggling with trauma is often dealing with post-traumatic stress disorder. This condition can cause nightmares, flashbacks, hypervigilance, avoidance, disassociation, and more. In this state, your partner may behave in what feels unpredictable to you. 
Have you experienced this? I can say for myself that I was surprisingly volatile in a couple of my very early relationships after the abuse. And that is because I had resentment towards my previous partner that I hadn't dealt with. And I was very sensitive to feeling controlled. And I I would lash out. And I also think I really wanted people to read my mind and for me not to have to have sensitive conversations about what I did and didn't like because I was just overwhelmed. You know, Mm -hmm. I had gone through something that was so emotionally traumatic, I guess, or emotionally charged that I was just over it. I felt like I did want people in my life. And like I said, I definitely was feeling, you know, like hypersexual, but anything sensitive, I felt angry. Like I felt like I'm, I'm over this. I just want things to be easy, I think is what I wanted for a couple of years. And yeah, it definitely wasn't good. And I hurt, you know, more than one person because of it. Yeah, same for me. I think mine showed up a little bit differently. I tended to be avoidant. I tended to be, but it was like out of nowhere. People I was dating would say, what what happened? I don't understand. Like one minute we're having a ton of fun. Everything's great. And the next minute you're, you're gone. Like I would take, I would not waste any time. I would walk right out the door if there was even a moment of conflict, even a moment of something that I didn't like. I definitely did that too. If I felt even like the tiniest bit of not feeling attracted to someone for like just a a short amount of time and not feeling, you know, excited and charged up, I would be having like great conversations with a guy one day and like seriously break up with him the next day and catch him completely off guard just because... I don't know. I had a bad feeling and I just ran with it. And in fact, I can think of more than one man who probably would have been great boyfriends, but I couldn't handle it. (laughs) I I don't want to say name any names, but you know who you are. (laughs) Yeah, I did the same thing. I've been a couple of times I've looked back and thought, man, if I hadn't been so like traumatized from previous relationships, I could have opened up and I could have like maybe had a great relationship with these people. But Instead, I ran. And that's why this particular man in um, Melbourne was so important to me because he did want to be close to me, but he would often, we had such an intellectual connection that we would often just get together and, you know, talk about movies and books and this and that. And it just, the pressure was so low that somehow it got me more comfortable again. Mm -hmm. I love that. I think a big thing for me when I was first starting to date and also Mm -hmm. right now is figuring out are these my old wounds talking or are these actually problems? Are these actually like the infamous red flags that everyone always talks about? Mm -hmm. And I think that's something that people who have trauma and have anxiety really have to work through, which is a process, I think. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. I think there are tons of, of ways to do that. But for me, a big one was therapy. It was having other people to bounce these things off of. Because when you're coming out of a relationship where you're not even sure what's up and down, sometimes you need somebody to bounce those things off of until you can learn how to trust yourself. Mm -hmm. Um, But also like just personal evaluation, spending some time is that this is not my, my old partner. This is my new partner. And what other things have they done to show me that maybe they're who I'm assuming that they are? How have they shown me that they're safe? Like all of these evaluation things that you have to take into account, but it is really hard to figure out in the beginning, is this old stuff or is this actually a problem? So hard. We're going to talk more about self-trust after a relationship trauma, because I know that's what I, um, 
I want to say still struggle with, but that's what I struggled with for a long time. It's like, if I made such a, you know, a series of such horrible decisions leading up to being with a, an alcoholic and getting into this work situation, you know, like, how can I ever trust myself again? Like both of these yeah. situations destroyed my life. I am really glad that I was able to, you know, pick up the pieces and get on with things eventually, but you know, I didn't have to happen. You know, I could have walked away from either one, but I didn't. And so it took me a while to, to trust myself again. Yeah. Same here. I think that was part of a huge, like period of self-discovery when we're talking about the wounds and versus the red flags versus all the things like talking to the person that you're dating or your partner is really important too, because you can get a feel for, for, are they respectful? Do they actually believe what they're saying? All the things. Yes. And we will talk more about trying to figure out if you're ready to date again after all of this. So you said that there's some internal questions. Maybe you've learned these from therapy or maybe you've learned these from your own experience. But if someone is maybe dating or starting to date and is not quite sure why they're feeling uneasy, there's some questions that you suggest people ask themselves, right? Yeah. So many questions. I mean, I think that the most important ones are like, what is my trigger here? And what are my fears underneath that trigger? What does it remind me of? How am I kind of reliving old situations versus like what I'm actually living now? Because I found myself doing that a lot. Someone would say something that resembled something that a previous partner would say, and I would get stuck in that loop. And I would really have to ask myself, okay, Katie, are we, are you living in the present or are you living in the past? Like, what do you know of the new person versus what, how are they like your ex-partner? So there were like all of these parallels that I would always make in my mind, but that's also, again, where sometimes that set, that third party is, it can be helpful because you can question and evaluate and try to figure it out on your own. But sometimes you need another set of ears, which is why therapy is so important to me. (laughs) Yes. And you know what? And maybe some people out there don't think they necessarily need therapy, but dating coaching as well can be um, really great because, I mean, this is what we do is we sit down and we, you know, talk, talk about things. And, you know, also, I think sometimes our friends are not the best people necessarily. And that is for so many reasons. That's because they're not trained professionals. That's because it can wear on the friendship. And when we are recovering from trauma and from a breakup, we really need friends who are just there just to be friends and just, you know, to have someone to go and hang out with and not necessarily putting the weight of processing or recovering from this on the friendship. And, um, a lot of people have really good intentions, but in my opinion, give horrible advice. So, oh my gosh, same, same. <laughs> I am like absolutely horrified sometimes when I hear like, what some people's friends are that's telling. Real them. advice, yeah. <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. So another way that this can show up, which if you're genuinely wanting to date, I would assume this is not what you want, which is why you should deal with this now, and that is. Reduced intimacy, loss of trust slash avoidance. This was absolute. This has been absolutely my biggest pattern after traumatic events. I mean, so much so to the point that I had partners or people I was dating putting very low expectations on like how much we would communicate, and me completely freaking out and shutting people off because they wanted me to, you know, text or call once a day or very like hardly any. <laughs> 
<laughs> demands. And it was like, as soon as I felt any expectation on this, on the part of someone else, I just felt myself just putting up a wall partially because when I was with my abusive ex, he would sometimes just want me to stay on the phone with him just for hours and just be constantly available. And it, you know, it's obviously a red flag, but um, yeah, I would completely shut down and people found it very hard to get close to me. From the same article, which is, is past trauma impacting your current relationship? It says there can be shame, guilt, fear, and a whole host of other emotions when you're learning to be vulnerable and learning to trust. There can be a certain level of guilt that comes along with dating after trauma. You feel guilty that you're bringing your baggage along. You feel guilty or confused or lost. You feel guilty for, for doubting your partner. You may also feel shameful that you've had moments that you behaved in ways you wish you hadn't. Sometimes the fear gets a hold of you and it's hard to see clearly. And I know one thing about trauma for me is that it just bombards your brain. And it's really hard to look objectively at, at situations. Yeah, absolutely. I think I experienced that a lot. And especially with my anxiety, it's like, it's just a whole different mindset. And you, you're just in this like panicked state of, oh my God, what if, what if, what if? Yeah. And you're there and then your partner's like, what the heck is going on? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, completely. And I can relate to feeling lost and confused and um, really kind of angry with yourself that you're feeling anxious and that you're feeling distrusting, especially when, when you first meet someone, you're excited. And then a couple of weeks in when they're wanting to have a little bit more communication, you're completely shutting someone wonderful out of your life. It can, yeah, definitely get in the, this loop. But I also know for me, I felt physically even unable to have conversations or have phone calls with people because I had such a, a wallop. And the only yeah. thing I could really do was walk away, which is why it serves to <laughs> deal with this before you start yes. inviting people see, into your life. <laughs> yes. See your favorite dating coach right here. <laughs> yes. Yes. Com completely. I mean, like there's all the time in the world when it comes to connecting with people. And if you want to do it, you want it to last. And I mean, having multiple breakups in a row after this abusive relationship was not equally stressful, but more stress on me. And I really wish that I would have sorted my shit because then I just kind of got stuck in this drama cycle <laughs> with people that were actually pretty lovely for the most part. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So how to overcome this? I think that this is important if you're listening because you want to date. I mean, the last thing that you want is to start dating and then not want intimacy. So first of all, Evaluate whether or not it is the time for serious relationships. Mm -hmm. Yeah, mm -hmm. I did a lot of people used to call me one date Kate because I could go on exactly one date and that was it. I would never speak to them again. I would ghost them. Awful, I know. But I hadn't taken the time to decide if I was actually ready for a relationship, even a casual one. So I, I so agree with that. And and my last relationship when I before I moved back to America was with someone I was absolutely head over heels for. And I just I wasn't ready. And I thought that I was, but then once this kind of blew up in my face, I did have a very serious talk with myself and just said, This isn't the time for it. You've got so much to do and learn and so much to recover from and process that you need to put this this desire aside and come back to it when you're in a 
better place, which is what I did. <laughs> and you know what? For it was actually longer than I think I've ever said publicly. It was more, it was years. And but it was worth it. It was so, so, so worth it. So it's worth it. Mm-hmm. How to overcome fear of intimacy. Be honest with yourself and others. Are you still processing this? Do you need to let other people know that you're still processing this? Really evaluate where you're at and like be specific about where you're at. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think this is one of the keys to my relationship working now. We've been together about a year, um, but really being honest about like, here's what I'm bringing. Here's what I've been through. Yes. Here's Here are the things that are barriers for me and what I might need a little bit of extra help with. Um, mm-hmm. That has been paramount to it working out. And when was it that you started sharing these things? Because for me, I'm, you know, you don't want to put too much on a brand new relationship, right? Yeah. Yeah. It was slow. It was a process. Um, but I think I shared kind of the, the anxiety piece of it fairly early on because I didn't want to scare him off. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that ended up being really, really useful because I could say like, hey, I'm having a moment of anxiety here and I, I need like space. I need a little reassurance or here's what's going on in my mind. The picture I'm telling myself is... And so it worked out really well. And then the trauma, I waited a little while to share that. And it's still, I haven't shared all of it because it's a lot. Um, but yeah. but just kind of general things for him to know and be aware of. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I'm, I'm not very forthcoming about the details of what I went through um, because it's so upsetting. And also mm-hmm. I, I processed it. And so I, for me, I don't feel like I need to do that. But that I'm, you know, years into my to my journey in the beginning oh, it came up constantly and oh I'm, me too yeah, first sure dates even <laughs> yeah how embarrassing I know looking back I'm like oh that must have been great to just have, have someone I'm unload sure we on were you a blast. yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes exactly <laughs> so this is something that I actually think I just put this in this morning and that is if you're feeling yourself constantly worrying about getting close to someone maybe you need to take your dating more seriously Rather than being, you know, trying to date as many people as as possible and actually putting more thought into it could be not for everybody. I mean, even looking back for me, although I had a lot of work to do, I wouldn't say that I was taking it seriously. I, you know, wanted company and, you know, felt nice to be pursued, but I wasn't, you know, really committing to to much, I I have to admit. And then thinking hard about what your wants, needs, and desires are before you start. I love that. That's a great point. I don't think I ever did much of that until recently. I I mean, you're a perfect example because you weren't ready until more recently. Yeah, exactly. And I still have lots of work to do, but not knowing whether you can trust yourself because you've allowed untrustworthy people or situations to occur that you wish hadn't, that is a huge one. And I think that self-doubt pops up a lot after trauma when you're dating because you're like, like you said earlier, I've, I shouldn't have gotten myself into this situation, but I did. And I don't think that we should should on ourselves either, but it's, you know, it's, it's an easy place to get stuck. Um, I don't know if you've experienced that as well, but it's. Well, I think I always try to reframe things with people as, yeah, I don't think you should should on yourself except for when it means what you should do moving forward. Shitting as far as the past goes, that's, you know, not really very helpful, but you can take what you've learned and what you think that you should do moving forward. 
Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love that. I love that reframe. Um, so I think that it can be helpful to think about what you missed the first time around. What did I miss with my family, my friends, my, my workplace, whatever? What did I miss there? And what did I have kind of icky feelings about before that I ignored or that I allowed someone to explain away or that I willingly looked, looked the other way on? Because I know I did that a lot. Um, with a relationship and I looking back could say to myself, okay, Katie, you saw this, this, and this, but you allowed it to be explained away. You, you were like, oh, it wasn't a big deal. It, it, it was just one time. And all of those things were the things that ended up being the killer and the things that ended up really traumatizing me. Um, so I think another piece of that, it's important to figure out why you didn't honor those feelings. Why did you push them away? Why did you choose to ignore them? And I know for me, it was because I was boundaryless and I just wanted someone to love me. And yep, same. I was excited <laughs> that someone who appeared to be really an exciting individual was so into me. So even when, you know, I'm on the subway and he's demanding I not hang up, I felt very irritated, to be honest. <laughs> but I, I shoved it down because I'm like, you know, I, yeah, I wanted the excitement and I didn't want to lose that. Yeah. 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 And I think some people might do better processing this kind of thing with a coach or a therapist, just because mm -hmm. like it can be, especially if you're early on, it can be really re-traumatizing to, to go back and like think through the things that you yeah. maybe ignored the first time. Yeah, that's um, a good point. And yeah, definitely. I encourage people to do that. Um, we'll talk about other ways that you can do it. If maybe it's more small T traumas, like, you know, the failed relationships, like ghosting and things that you just feel are just continuing to come up and preventing you from having good relationships. But yes, if you're going through, you know, some of the things that Katie and I have gone through, please don't hesitate to get someone else um, in your support circle. So you may want to deal with this before dating too much because once you get into a new relationship, you could want or feel that you need constant reassurance from your partner or those you are dating. I love this one, Katie. You're the one who put it in our outline. And I especially love it because there is such an emphasis right now on anxious attachment and attachment styles. And a lot of people do talk about feeling anxious attached because of past relationships and seeing that once they get into a new relationship, they feel like they have no power at all over the fact that they need the constant reassurance and it's just what you need. And in many cases, it is a trauma response. And in many cases, it can absolutely ruin a relationship. So what did you want to say about this? Just that, that I think part of the work that you have to do when you have an anxious attachment style or you know that you're anxious is that you need to learn how to validate yourself a little bit. Yes. And I think it's also okay to ask your partner for reassurance. I've certainly had moments where I've I've needed that from my partner, but I've also been able to see clearly in my mind, okay, this is old wounds speaking and I don't really need the reassurance right now. I can remind myself that things are fine. I'm safe. Nothing has changed. Everything is good. But I think like there's kind of a balance between needing validation from your partner and being too needy. Like, yeah. Or asking for it and feeling like you have to have it perhaps. There, yeah. There, yeah. There's a, definitely a fine, a fine line. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I, but I also think that depends on the partners too, a little bit, like, you know, for you, it sounds like maybe someone needing too much reassurance, especially when you were first working through things would have been a killer, but yeah. you know, 
I, so I think maybe too, depending on the partners who are involved. And we will you know, talk a little bit more uh, about how to work through some of your anxiety before you start uh, dating again in a little bit. I guess maybe something I would ask you, it, given that you're kind of going through this right now, what would be effective as far as asking for some reassurance without being overbearing? I don't know if that's the right word or without letting it kind of infect your relationship. I think I always lead with, here's how I'm feeling. And I think it's just because I need a little bit of extra reassurance. And here's why I feel like I need that extra reassurance. Um, Mm -hmm. And that seems to work really well for us because I'm not blaming him for not giving me enough attention. I'm not blaming, you know, there's no like, this is your fault. You need to reassure me. It's me owning that, uh, that it's me and I need it. And here's why. When you're asking for reassurance, what does that mean to you? For me, it means that I have something in my mind that I have assumed is happening or or I am positive is going to happen. And I need to hear from my partner that that's not true. For me, that's what it is. And he generally can do that very well, very easily. We've kind of figured out a, a way that works for us. That's great. Thank you. And we should double date sometime. Um, <laughs> I'm asking because I, that's something that right now I wouldn't say is something I struggle with. So, But I think a lot of people can. So I really appreciate the, you know, the real life example. Yeah. So one of the more common trauma responses is the fight, flight, or freeze. Katie, do you know much about this? I mean, it seems like you've been kind of working through some of this more recently than I have. And so when it comes to fight, flight, freeze, has this either shown up for you or perhaps with your clients or, you know, like, what do you think about how this can can show up in new relationships? Oh, man, I think it shows up everywhere. It shows up for me with my co-parent. Um, I tend to freeze and I tend to flight. I, I don't necessarily think that we're stuck in one response all of the time. So for me with my co-parent, it's huge. It's never going to stop. I know it. He's a trigger for me. There's that part of it there. And I also think it shows up in relationships just based off of like your attachment style, based off of your level of comfort with conflict, all kinds of, of places that I think it can show up. Yes. And I think it shows up early in relationships when you haven't processed your trauma, because as soon as you start feeling triggered, you will likely do one of these things. Some examples being maybe trying to you know, control the behavior of your partner, making a lot of demands. Grudge holding can be kind of a fight response. I definitely did that early on when I was first living in Australia. It can also be more aggressive reactions such as you know, rage, blame, contempt. And, you know, you can even completely lose control and do things that you probably really regret. So flight, this is what Katie and I were talking about a couple minutes ago. And that's kind of, you know, being passive aggressive or maybe shutting down, withdrawing, isolating, avoiding people. That's what I did for a few years. And then you also, some people might actually like physically you know, leave the situation or completely shut someone down. This could also, I think, maybe one of the reasons why you ghosted and why I've done it as well is because as soon as I, you know, sometimes decided I'm done, I was done. That's the, <laughs> don't even need to have a conversation with the person. I'm, you know, Audi, you know, 500. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think for me, the avoidant part of it was was more not being able to form an emotional connection because I was too afraid to do that. Mm-hmm. And then so, you just wanted out as quickly I, as possible. That was it. 
Yep, yeah, gone. I can absolutely relate to just being yeah, just, just over it. And, you know, this is not really where you want to be when you're genuinely wanting to form connections with people. You want to be able to have conversations about this isn't working for me or I can't see you anymore. I mean, this is what healthy adults do. So if you're finding that your past, past trauma is making you completely avoid just, you know, everyday conversations about your, your needs and your plans and being respectful to the other person, then maybe throttle back and, and wait a little bit because it's really not fair to them either. And I feel really bad about some things I did. I hope that I'm Me getting too. that across. Me too. <laughs> and of course, freezing. You might shut down, which I think is actually a little bit similar to what we were just talking about and just feeling, you know, completely unable to have conversations, completely unable to have any form of physical intimacy, completely feeling, you know, not wanting to have conversations, not wanting to go on dates. And I think also I've I've heard that some people even in the midst of intimacy will in the moment just completely shut down and freeze and just because of like the slightest trigger. And again, not really where you want to be. Definitely not. No. Mm -hmm. I think one other thing that's important to think about when you're dating is the anxious feelings that you get that kind of linger and they're always there. And I think for me, those really caused a lot of negative thought patterns about my partner, like things that I believed to be true that were not actually true that then influenced my relationship with my partner. And I think that's really common with people who are anxious. We just let our minds take over and there we are. Our emotional parts are like, but he must be mad. He must be whatever. They must be this, this, this. And that's not true, but you're so stuck on it that then you start behaving as if your partner has truly adopted those characteristics or truly become that person or or that situation is actually true. And then you're kind of treating them. Well, so a self-fulfilling prophecy in the sense that yeah. not that it's true, but that you're operating as though it's true. Yeah. And then what are you doing to your partner? Like your your poor partner is. Like, yeah, I was going to say, I mean, regardless of how, you know, they might be receiving all of this in the very beginning, continuing to do these things in a relationship that you want is a very great way to make sure that you don't get any of what you want because you know I, yes. I I don't know really the best way to put this but you know healthy people who are secure and ready to date are not don't put up with this behavior mm-hmm. and treatment it's you know absolutely true nor should they right yeah exactly and i think that's i think it can be viewed i mean i've been told more than one time since i have gone on my dating journey after divorce, that I was juvenile and the things that I expected were uh, unattainable. The things that the way that I behaved, the emotions that I showed were like over the top. And none of these people were wrong. It's true, but it was all of that unprocessed stuff Mm -hmm. and all of that anxiety popping up. And I just was treating people poorly, which is like... Well, I also feel for me having, you know, as much control over the situation as I possibly could helped me to, you know, I was continually convincing myself that if I called all of the shots, then I wouldn't get hurt again. Because mm-hmm. yeah. I felt, you know, when you're living with an alcoholic, you don't feel like you have control over anything. I mean, which kind of you, you don't. And so feeling that I had ultimate control, even when it really negatively impacted impacted the other person. Yeah, I just convinced myself that this was, you know, the way to prevent that from happening again, Mm -hmm. which you might be able to relate to. 
Yeah, yeah. But I think I kind of operate on the other end of the spectrum in that for a long time, I wanted to just let everyone else control everything. Okay, yeah, I get that. Because it felt like then it would be their fault if it didn't work out. Mm-hmm. And so oh, interesting. that was never true. It was, it was my fault because of, like I said, like kind of the unprocessed stuff, but, but me being like, no, no, whatever you want, whatever you want. Like, again, it, wow. it just felt like then I could be like, well, they, they chose this, they decided this. So there's that part for me. I think it, it's kind of the opposite of you. But yeah, I was also- just going to say these are opposite sides of the behavior spectrum, but mm-hmm. also they, this did not work for either of us. You know, we, no. I did not have <laughs> intimacy and meaningful connections for a number of years. Mm-hmm. I mean, people yeah. don't want to be controlled. <laughs> no, know? and they also don't want to be blamed every single time mm-hmm. something happens. <laughs> yeah. So, mm-hmm. yeah. I think one way that it shows up for me still is so after I lost lost my job, lost, you know, friends, lost my money, my apartment, my visa, I my life was so chaotic. And so now, you know, I didn't have my own place to live even for quite a, quite a while. And so now I have a place, but I'm very hyper vigilant about keeping my house very meticulously perfect. And I think for me, that's one way that it still shows up as I feel calm because I have, you know, control and ease at home. And I know what to expect whenever I'm at least in my own walls. Yeah, how interesting. But I wasn't really like this before. Before all yeah. of this went down in Australia, I was pretty laid back. Wouldn't even make my bed some, some days, leave dishes. Not anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I do this weird thing where like I clean, like my, sweep my floors before I even leave the house. Often. Oh my goodness. Good for mm-hmm. Well, I mean, it must be nice though to have kind of a clean It's space. working for me. It's working for me. I don't feel like it's, you know, really impacting, you know, my ability to, you know, function or be happy. But yeah, I, I, I was very like, you know, long-term impacted by these things. So we're going to take a quick commercial break and then we're going to come back and talk about strategies and tips for dealing with trauma, either as we're dating or before we start dating again. Nothing shatters your life like a breakup, and the pain of a broken heart is real. I know that it seems impossible right now, but there is hope, and there are ways to heal. I would love to work with you one-on-one to heal your broken heart and put your breakup behind you. My personalized coaching programs are designed to pinpoint what will be most effective in helping you to move forward and make this breakup a part of your past. I believe in you. Message me at xfilespodcast at gmail.com or on Instagram at xfilespodcast and let's connect about creating a magical plan of action for you to enter 2023 with this breakup in your rearview mirror. Welcome back, everyone. So we've talked a lot about how trauma can show up in new relationships. And this is not just for us to kind of shoot the shit and talk about our experiences, but to really encourage people to take take the time to address this and for, you know, your own happiness, for the happiness of others. If you're dealing with trauma, the last thing you want is to get into a relationship with someone you're excited about only to then have it fall apart because, you know, maybe you weren't completely, you know, emotionally available or prepared for, you know, the intimacy and for the dynamics of a relationship, which eventually come up when you're getting close to someone. So what can you do if, 
you feel like you may be experiencing some trauma, but you want to date again. I have some tips, so I'll give mine and then you can chime in. (laughs) I believe that it is, oh, I'm going back to my word from the episode. It behooves us to stay single long enough to enjoy being single. I think that for a lot of people who feel like they have trauma in them, there can be a belief that companionship or sex or the excitement of a new relationship can put a bandaid on things or will make you feel better. And I assure you that's not a winning strategy. Yeah. So if you like being single, you might be ready to date again. You're not bringing your ex up often in conversations with friends and family. You will know that the trauma is maybe not living as much inside of you if you notice that you're not bringing it up as, you know, with every opportunity that you that you have. Oh my gosh, I couldn't agree more. I think like I mentioned, talking about trauma and your exes on your first dates is probably a sign that you're mm-hmm. not ready. Yes. Like when you can form a connection with someone consistently for a while without bringing that up, yeah. then maybe that's the time to like take to the next level. I completely agree. And I also want to say that talking about what you've gone through and as someone who did go through something enormously traumatic and did want to talk about it in the early days after. This is a part of the grieving process. It's a part of the process of recovering from trauma. And I pray that anyone who went through what I went through has people around them that they can talk to, whether it be a, a therapist, a family member, or a friend. And it's a part of the process that you might want to go through while you're not involving other people in dating. And you have stopped to look at your patterns. You have stopped to process the breakup. You've evaluated what you might do differently next time. And you know what you're looking for. And you know how you will stay accountable to what you say that you're looking for, what your boundaries are, and how you will execute them. Sometimes when we have a traumatic experience, we don't want to think critically and objectively about our ourselves, and we tend to go from one situation to an actually fast, possibly because we don't want to think about what we've gone through. But if we genuinely want happy relationships, you have to. <laughs> yeah, I think the self-reflection and the self-awareness piece of it is huge because you keep repeating the same patterns. You don't do all of the things that you just mentioned. So take a time out. And I think especially thinking about things like your boundaries and holding yourself accountable. These are things that we don't talk about as much, but it's, it's important because, you know, we can end up in the same situations over and over again. I mean, a lot of listeners will know about the cycle of abuse and the fact that some people just hop from one abusive relationship to another. I think it's important to think about how you will get what you want and, you know, what you're going to say if maybe you're finding yourself slipping. So another tip as far as coping with trauma and recovering from it before or while you're dating is going slow when you're dating again. Katie can definitely talk about this. Mm -hmm. (laughs) There are so many benefits of slow dating, especially when you are dealing with trauma. And it is highly possible, even when you really like someone. It's important because it gives us time to evaluate how things are going rather than feeling attracted to someone and diving in. It gives us time to listen to our feelings about things. Sometimes we 
get into a relationship and realize that we're being triggered and that our trauma is showing up and like before we even know it. And sometimes that can be because we allow relationships to go really fast. We, you know, maybe have a connection with someone or sleep with someone who we really like, and then we're hanging out every single night. And before we know it, it's a disaster. Yeah, that's exactly what I experienced with my marriage. We moved very quickly. We got married really fast and there was almost no time to like process who this person is and how they make me feel because it, we were just constantly go, 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 go. So I think that the slow dating that you're talking about and allowing mm-hmm. yourself the time to process and also the time to think about whether or not you actually like this person and you're not worried about whether they like you as much. That was a clue for me that I was ready to date because I was able to say like, okay, but so maybe they really like me and they treat me really well, but do I actually really like them? Yes. Yeah. Perfect example. And also being able to step away or slow things down if you feel your trauma coming up. Sometimes trauma can come up and it's not related to to a red flag, but it still means that we might not be ready or that we might not be ready for something so serious. And I know for me, my pattern was after I left my abuser, I got into relationships really quickly. And then while you know we were spending so much time together and before I even knew it, I things were coming up and I was destroying it and then having to deal with, you know, big breakups or arguments or things that sucked (laughs) because, you know, I found myself kind of in over my head because the relationship had gotten serious so quickly. It also helps to develop healthy communication with those that you are dating and discovering if they will be able to do the same. If you have trauma in your background, you want to be with a healthy communicator and you want to also healthily communicate. So going slow can help establish this. Absolutely. Yeah, I think that's a huge one. And along with that, I think with with those of us who have anxiety and have trauma, the setting boundary part of it can be really hard. So that communication piece, like knowing how they're going to receive your boundaries, knowing how they're going to react, how are they going to talk through that with you? So important. Yes. I mean, the moment that you have an uncomfortable conversation with someone is really the moment that you learn whether or not you should really move forward. And you are absolutely going to want that if this is something that you think that you'll be working through for, you know, sometimes years to come, sometimes our entire lives. And of course, going slow helps you to build trust with yourself and those you're dating. Another really important thing if you've coped with trauma in your past. Yeah, I love that one. Um, The building trust with yourself is something that I think is really hard. But going slow allows you that time to evaluate like we were just talking about and to figure out, okay, yeah, this is working for me or this isn't. And is this trauma or is this anxiety or is this like really a problem? I like this. I like this conversation a lot. So ways to process. I am not a therapist. I am a life coach and I have lots of experience for sure, personal and professional. Katie also is, you know, we're not, we're not therapists here, but we have processed lots of trauma. We've done it with therapists and without. And so I definitely don't want anyone to take this as, as medical advice, but I think that there might be some people listening who have some small T traumas who think that they might be able to process it or may want to at least learn more about what happened and get to the point where they know if they want to have someone come in or not. So I thought we could give some of our own tips for for processing things, especially if you're listening to this because you just had a bad breakup. There are a lot of things that you can do on your own to kind of have a bird's eye view of what just took place and kind of figure out what to do next. 
of course, therapy. There are so many resources out there, whether or not you're insured. I have never tried the online therapy before, but I know that that's just taking off like crazy. Yeah, I've never tried that either. I'd be interested to know like how it works for people. Yeah. So yeah, hit me up on Instagram if anyone has tried it. That could maybe even make an interesting mini episode or something. And if there's anyone who owns one of those companies who wants to sponsor X-Files, you can hit me up as well. (laughs) There are lots of different relationship inventories that we can do. And I think when it comes to some of the small T traumas, you know, such as failed relationships that come one after another, or feeling like you're not getting anywhere in dating, or feeling like you're kind of stuck in these patterns that you can't seem to stop. Doing relationship inventories and pinpointing what your patterns are can be really, really powerful as far as evaluating what to do next, evaluating whether or not you need to take a break, and evaluating what it is that you want to work on. I think sometimes coaching and therapy can be more effective when we know going into it what we what we want to get out of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. So one thing that I did when I was first living in Australia, and for those who don't know my life story, um, so <laughs> I after I left my abuser, I I'm American and I was in America, and then I ended up moving to Australia because I had a job opportunity. So that's why I keep on referencing this. And it was very soon after I left this abusive situation, and I was a hot mess. Like, I don't even know how I, (laughs) how I got to this point today. But so one thing that I did when I was first living there is I got really, really involved with five rhythms dancing. And it's kind of this form of dance therapy in a way, and it's facilitated open form dance where someone is responsible for choosing this really amazing playlist and people just kind of come and let the mood take them. And it was amazing for me. I actually processed a lot of what I had gone through on on the dance floor and it's effective because you get to move it through your body and so it might not work for everyone but I have had many 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 friends who did five rhythms dancing who had a similar experience where they felt like there was something inside of them that they hadn't been able to shake and that through going weekly to these dance sessions they they felt like they were especially if maybe you can be intentional about what you want to process when you dance Coaching can be really, really, really effective, especially if you have patterns that you really want to break. And journaling, I think there's lots of different ways that you can do this. You can talk about, you know, the things that you want to forgive yourself for. You can actually get out of your head and onto paper some of the experiences that you that you went through, and that can help to move it through your body as well. You, it can help you to think about what you want in the future, maybe some of your promises to yourself and get to the point where you know what your next moves are. Oh man, I love all of those. I think one that I would add is it's sometimes can be really important to find a peer group. Oh um, wow. People Great. who understand what you've been through. And I know there are a lot of those on Facebook, but I also know that you can kind of look through resources in your community. If you have a therapist or a local coach, they can sometimes be good good people to find that peer group. But I think it's really helpful when other people have lived the same experiences to be able to like talk to them, go to a support group every month or whatever. And and it, I think it's just another way to process and heal. Thank you so much for bringing that up. I don't know why I don't mention this very often on X-Files, but I was really involved with Codependence Anonymous for a number of years after I left my abuser because one aspect of codependence for many women is that they get into relationships with with alcoholics. And so I learned about codependence and codependence anonymous and started going to 
groups. And there was even groups that were just for women. And I got really into it for a few years there. And it was very, very effective for me. So definitely people can check that out. And I'm still a part of a Facebook group. It's called Codependent No More, I believe. And it's good. It's women sharing their experiences. And I've seen that it's actually a very positive vibe as far as this is what I'm going through, but I really want to overcome it as well. So, oh, and I also wanted to mention that there's lots of codependence anonymous meetings online as well, as far as, and also other 12-step groups that meet online. So <laughs> wherever you are in the world, there, there are resources. I think one thing that you really wanted to talk about then, I, and I'd love to hear from you, is we mentioned this earlier, but once we get out there and start dating again, it's important to know how to differentiate between trauma and red flags. Mm -hmm. And this is particularly important right now because the world is really enjoying talking about red flags right now. <laughs> so what do you think as far as how to know if it's your intuition, if it's your triggers? if it's unprocessed trauma, or if this is something that you should walk away from? So for me, an important part of that was kind of the, the internal evaluation process, but also what I struggled with in some of my, my relationships was how do I figure out if I should be treated this way or if I shouldn't? Like, how do I know? And so for me, a really important part of that was like scrolling Instagram, talking to my therapist, figuring out like, okay, well, how do other people expect to be treated because I was getting the bottom of the barrel and I was okay with that. And I, mm. I just assumed that that's kind of what I deserved. So I think a part of the evaluation process about red flags versus the triggers and trauma and anxiety was figuring out how other people are treated respectfully. And then I think for me, the triggers versus red flags was really a process of what does this new red flag that I'm seeing or that I think I'm seeing, how does that relate to the old trauma that I have? So again, that kind of internal dialogue about, okay, because like red flags are different for everyone. So what's a red flag for you might not be one for me. I think too, having that internal dialogue with yourself is important. Yes. And this is where it can come in handy to know ahead of time what your red flags are, what your boundaries are, what it is that you are looking for, what perhaps your non-negotiables are. And then also having the conversation, like I said earlier, how do I hold myself accountable for these things that I'm saying I want? And I went through this recently and it, it sucked, but I was, you know, in a situation where things were coming up that were on my list of non-negotiables. And I held myself accountable. Calling it quits sucks. But I mean, look, we're looking for, you know, long-term happiness and relationships that are healthy and that last and that bring joy to our life. And it's, you know, it's not worth it. And we're not looking for just momentary satisfaction in between, you know, drama and things that make us feel uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think the drama piece is huge too. I think when you're also kind of when you're talking about your intuition and like, just, you just know that something is wrong. I have never been actually been wrong when I when when it's that gut feeling yeah. that initial like oh this doesn't feel quite right I I'm almost never wrong and had I honored those feelings and I I think that's different than letting your mind take control it's like that 
you know, that initial reaction. I think had I listened to that early on, I wouldn't have been through so much trauma and I wouldn't have so many, so many things that I'm working through. Yeah, that's amazing. It ties directly into what I was going to say next. And that is when we build up our relationship with ourselves, we will know more easily what it is that, you know, we, we deserve and what we're worth. And, you know, I know sometimes when you've been through maybe, you know, a cycle of abuse or multiple bad relationships, that one reason we stay in them is because we find it really easy to take responsibility for someone else's poor behavior or to justify it or to you know blame, blame yourself or live in guilt for provoking someone or so many things that can come up when you live this way. I know from personal experience, but when you have a good relationship with yourself, then you will know that it's, that it's not your fault and you will know that it's unacceptable. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think that's, that's you hit the nail on the head. You have to have a certain level of self-awareness and self-respect and just in order to figure out what what's actually a red flag and what's actually a wound or what's, you know, whatever. And this is why, again, staying single for a while can be so useful because when you are single and loving it, you very likely have a pretty high level of self-worth, self-respect, self-reliance, self-love. You're probably pretty jazzed about your life and how you're showing up for yourself. And so if you're starting from that point, rather than, you know, desperately wanting a relationship because you are lonely or you feel like it will fix your life or complete your life, you are, you know, you're going to have higher standards. You just, you just will. I mean, why would you put up with being mistreated or feeling uneasy when you all, you know, have this blissful relationship with yourself that you can fall back on no matter what? I love that. So I just have a few tips for people who are trying to develop self-trust after going through this. It is so very important. And it's a great thing to do while you're single. We've talked a lot about what you've done in your new relationship, but knowing that you had this pattern of ghosting and one day Kate, I mean, was there anything really intentional that you did either with your therapist or without to get to the point where you were more confident in your decision-making ability? I think that for me, part of my process, and it might not sound great, was going on all of those single dates because there was a time when I didn't know what I liked or who I liked or how how I expected to be treated. So going on all those single dates gave me the opportunity to really get in touch with, like, how do I feel about this person? What vibes do they give me? How do I relate to them? So I know it sounds bad, but that was a really helpful process for me. It was just like going on these dates, meeting these people, seeing how how I felt, and then honoring that feeling when I then was able to not just be one date Kate. When I could go on a couple of dates with someone, I could finally trust myself to get to the point that I could accept a couple of dates. And it was kind of a progression from there. Yeah, I like that. And maybe also feeling that, you know, if you're having a good impression of someone, and even though it's not all fireworks, if you think that there might be some potential there, then kind of seeing where it went before making a decision. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think that, like I said, it was baby steps, just progression slowly, and then finally getting into a more serious relationship, but being able to trust myself along the way to end things when they, they needed to end. Yeah, great. And it's it's difficult, especially when we have high levels of chemistry or attraction with someone. It can be really difficult to make that decision, but you want to have the compatibility. You want to have the healthy communication. You want to both be ready if you want something long, long term. 
So one of the things that has worked the most for me as far as developing self-trust, which I would definitely say it's been probably the last four years that it's gotten to the point where it is now, which is very high. And that is my ability to self-soothe. And Kate, I would actually love you to maybe speak to this because you've struggled so much with anxiety. And when we feel anxious about life or relationships, sometimes it can spiral because we don't know quite how to deal with it on our own. And for me, that was absolutely how I was for years, beginning all the way back with my marriage you know, forever ago, I'm not going to say how long, (laughs) whenever anything in my life came up, he was on the phone talking me through it. I never had any discomfort or stress or anything that I didn't involve another person in. And that was text messages, phone calls, crying to people, all sorts of stuff that I'm sure was an enormous drain on the people who cared about me. But I never learned how to do it. And I wasn't, I didn't think I was capable of it. And so when I decided to come back to America, I really decided that I wanted to be more self-reliant. And for me, that would mean dealing with things when they came up on my own. And it was tricky. I have to say it was very uncomfortable. I had actually a failed job when I first moved here. I was working for car dealership of all things. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, didn't, it didn't really work out. And I remember one the day that I really realized that it's, you know, it's, it's not going to happen. I remember looking through my bag, like trying to find my phone, trying to figure out like who I was going to call. And I, I'm not saying that you shouldn't tell people what's going on in your life. But I just remember I caught myself in that moment and remembered the promise that I had made to myself that I was going to self-soothe. And I, you know, took a few deep breaths. I got on the train, sat there and thought about it. And I felt great and very powerful. And that really set the stage for, you know, stressors that were to come because moving to a new city is no piece of cake. (laughs) And, but I was able to do it more powerfully and more confidently because I was relying on myself when things Mm -hmm. got stressful, which, which they did. (laughs) Yeah. I think like self-soothing for me has looked like, first of all, understanding that I am the only one who has the power to make a choice or who has the power to decide what I'm going to do next. And also understanding that everyone that I talk to, I don't always want their opinion. It's not always helpful to me. It's not always like it doesn't always validate me. So being able to sit with the uncertainty, being able to calm myself, which I do a lot just by saying, like, you're safe. Everything is okay. This is not catastrophic. Mm -hmm everything is fine. That gets me through those moments when I'm really stuck in my mind. And then after I get anxiety and panic attacks a lot. So after those really high intense moments are over, then I'm able to kind of sit there and think like, here's what I want to do. Here's what I don't want to do. But really those kind of mantras are so helpful to me. And then I didn't, sometimes I have clients do this exercise and I don't think they always love it, but some people (laughs) who are still really codependent and have a really difficult time trusting themselves and self-soothing, I send out into the world to do homework assignments, buy, try something on the menu that you don't normally think that you'll like and see if you like it. Trust yourself to make that choice. And they're like, but I just want to stay with, with my regular coffee. We'll try something new and see if you like it. Trust yourself enough to evaluate that. So I did a lot of that too, learning to go out by myself, learning to try new things, learning to, it's all part of the self-trust and the self-soothing for me. 
It's amazing that you're saying that because the next thing I was going to mention is spending time on your own. And with my clients, a lot of the time I do the homework as well. And one of the things I really love to encourage people to do is to take yourself out to eat or take yourself out for a drink. And the more comfortable that you can get doing something like that, the more you will absolutely be able to trust yourself. I mean, a lot of people listening, I mean, just think if this sounds uncomfortable to you, I mean, just maybe consider all of the things that you're not trusting yourself to do already with that, you know, just going out into public, sitting by yourself, having people, you know, look at you, which is what a lot of people seem seem worried about, being able to kind of manage your time and entertain yourself, being able to pick something out, being, you know, doing all of this on your own. That's actually quite a bit of quite a few things that you don't think that you're capable of. Definitely. that And that was huge for me as well. For self-trust and also self-confidence. I enjoy spending time on my own. I don't do it as much as I used to, but it's something I'm definitely very comfortable doing. And it made me very, very confident, which served me, you know, in my, in my dating life, but it was something I got used to whilst I was single. Small, consistent actions are a really great way to develop self-trust. So we're talking about things like, you know, maybe something that you do for five minutes each day. I stretch almost every day of my life. And that's something that I expect. It's something that feels good. It's something that's easy. And it's something that I trust myself to do because I made a commitment to do it and I did. And it's about making the commitments and then keeping them that build self-trust. So even if it is just five minutes a day, it it has a snowball effect. Absolutely. I think that's super important. And I also find that just in my line of work, people really enforcing boundaries with other people is a huge way to build self-trust and to bring some some like, oh my gosh, I can do it. It's I I love having people who consistently set and enforce boundaries. I think that's huge. And that's a good example too, of how you can take something that you learned from your breakup and apply it in your professional life, which is something else I've become curious about just very, very recently. Yeah. In fact, I'm thinking I'm going to do an, um, an episode on using your breakup like professionally. I, oh, I yeah, awesome. kind of like developing the concept right now. That'll be really cool. And another way to build self-trust is thinking at the beginning of your day, what do you want out of your day? What is one thing that you would like out of the day? What is one thing you would like today? And then doing that. And, you know, this is just takes five minutes at the beginning of your day to sit down and think, you know, I have, for instance, have a system of how I do my to-do list and then I keep it next to me all day long and, you know, mark things off. I have three things <laughs> that I tell myself I must do each day. And then underneath that line, I just do like little things on my to-do list. And I almost always get at least the three things done. And it it does make me um, realize how capable I am for showing up for myself and makes me trust myself that I do what I'm going to say I'm going to do. And it goes back to the small, consistent actions. Most of us can accomplish three things. So I want to wish everyone out there luck and also to tell you that I know that this isn't easy. And that's why I really, really encourage you to take the time while you're single to sort some of this. And, you know, eventually I have to say for me, you know, personal development became kind of a game slash obsession and something that I still have a lot of passion and that I get really revved up about. And you might as well. Yeah, same. I mean, I think the self-awareness piece and really learning about what makes me tick and and why I am the way I am and what I've brought in has been huge, life-changing. 
And, you know, and also I think it sounds like for me, even learning about your triggers and learning about your anxiety, um, that was something that you needed to be on your own to do and something that you enjoyed and something that's really served you. Yeah, absolutely. I don't think I could be dating the way that I am now if I hadn't learned how all of those things impact me. Same. And I could not be dating the way I am now if I didn't push pause on the whole thing for a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, everybody go follow Co-Parenting Peacefully on Instagram. And if you would like a little bit of support navigating all of this, please hit me up on Instagram. I do have coaching um, availability right now, and I would love to work with you on this. So you can find me at X-Files Podcast or Janice Formicella. The information is in the show notes. Same with Katie's information. Yay. Thanks for having me. You are so welcome. Thank you for the idea and thank you for all of the insight and wisdom that you brought. Thank you for listening to X-Files Podcast. I sincerely hope that you found today's episode inspirational or useful. I would love to support you on your healing journey. All you have to do is send me a message through the X-Files Instagram account, and I will personally be in touch to get you started. Remember, if you are struggling with a broken heart, your feelings are temporary. I am sending you so much love and luck for the week ahead. You've got this.